3: And very
4: good Thursday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme, hoping we find everybody in good form this morning. Anything you want to share with us, we always love to hear from you throughout the day. Sadie John Paul taking the calls at eighteen fifty three 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 one oh three. And of course, text and WhatsApp's also available at O eight six two one oh three one oh three. And of course you can always email the program as well, Patricia at C one oh three dot IE. And can I start with a warning that has come into us from Sinead, one of our listeners who emailed the programme just to give a warning to other people, particularly when it comes to scams, we like to keep people updated and keep reminding people about scams and if there's a new scam it's particularly important that we get the information out to people and this is a scam phone call that has been doing the rounds this week purporting to come from Amazon Prime. Now when you answer the phone, it says it's Amazon Prime and they ask you to press 1 to renew your account. Now a lot of people particularly during lockdown signed up for Amazon Prime so they're working these scam artists are working on the premises that a lot of people that they will call will have been will be a customer of Amazon Prime and will therefore believe that it's Amazon Prime trying to contact them to renew their account. It's a robot call so Sinead is saying, hang up immediately. Now, Miss Sinead has had three of these calls to her home landline and also a number of calls to her work landline. All happened yesterday. She's contacted the garda and the the station that she contacted said that they've received multiple calls about this particular scam. If anybody gets it, the call comes from a 0044. So you're straight away thinking it's a call that it looks like it's been originated from England which is where Amazon is based but of course it mightn't be they're, they're getting very clever with the way they're able to cover the phone number the identification of the phone number but just hang up straight away if you hear any anything from somebody claiming to be from Amazon Prime it is a scam and do not press any button on your phone because what normally happens is if you do press the button you end up going into a premium rate call which will end up and you a fortune either on your phone bill or if you're a pay-as-you-go phone, your credit will simply be eaten up. So please be aware of that and thank you to Sinead for emailing Patricia at c103.ie. And there's another piece I want to bring you. I've, I've had this actually since early on in the week and it keeps... Show gets so busy that I just don't get in, get around to sharing it, and it is something that I really do want to share because I think a number of people will be able to identify with this. And why we picked this piece up from a community Facebook page in Donegal, this is relevant to anywhere in the country, and this conversation could take place between any. Grandparent and a much-loved grandchild who's trying to do their best for granny or granddad. And the story goes, I spent an hour in the bank with my granddad as he needed to transfer some money. I couldn't resist myself and I said, Granddad, why don't we activate your internet banking? Why would I want to do that? He asked. Well, says I, then you wouldn't have to spend an hour here in the bank for things as simple as this, transferring of money and instead you could stay at home and you could have more time on your farm You could even do your shopping online, Grandad. Everything would become so easy. I was so excited about getting him into the world of online banking. And he asked, if I do that, what you're saying is I won't even have to step out of the farm. I simply won't have to leave my farm at all. Yes, yes, I said. I told him how even his groceries can be delivered right to his farmhouse door and how now Amazon delivers absolutely everything. Some states, sometimes you can get it next day delivered. His answer left me tongue-tied. He said, since I entered the bank today, I've actually met four of my friends. Two of them are people who regularly help me out with calving and milking. I've chatted a while with the staff member who knows me so well by now. You know, I am alone. This is the company that I need. I like to get up, feed the few animals I've left, get ready and come into town and go to the shops. I have enough time in my day and it's the physical touch that I crave. Two years back, I got sick and, you know, it was the neighbouring farmer and the hardware store owner who came to see me and sat with me at my bedside in the hospital. When your granny fell down a few days ago while out on her morning walk, it was the local grocer who spotted her. He immediately got his car and rushed her home as he knows exactly where we live. Would I have that human touch if everything became online? Why would I want everything delivered to me and force me to interact with just my computer? I like to know the people I'm dealing with and not just the seller. It creates bonds of relationships that last a lifetime. Does Amazon and online banking and the rest deliver all this as well? Technology isn't life, my child. Spend time with people not with devices. Uh, These are the lessons that are to be learned from our elders if we take the time uh, to listen. And I just thought that really resonated with me. And while we all do a bit of online shopping and I think during lockdown for many people the online aspect of shopping saves them. And there are many advantages to online shopping. And during lockdown, particularly when the older people like granddad in this story uh, was cocooning, it certainly kept those people safe that they didn't have to leave their homes, that they didn't have to leave their farms when we were trying to keep them well away from COVID-19. But what a sensible granddad this man is, you'll never get that human touch from online and that need to interact with people, even if it's just to say hi, even if it's just to complain about the weather, even if it's just to complain about wearing a face mask, it is that human interaction between people and those relationships that you build up. So a very wise man and I think a lot that we can learn from our older people. Well, I say there are lots of advantages to going online and doing things online. It's that that human touch. Just thought I'd share it with you. As I say, it certainly resonated with me. Now, college students, it looks like college students will be asked to wear face coverings during lectures. This is if they have to sit one or two metres apart. We've got updated guidelines on this. If two metres separation between students is not possible and in fairness in a lot of the lecture halls in our colleges around the country that won't be possible then what college uh, what the the college lecturers have been told to do is keep your students one metre apart, but if they're just one metre apart, they will have to wear a, a mask. If they are able to sit two metres apart, they won't need to wear the mask, but it will still, again, be strongly advised. And the number of students to be allowed in a lecture hall at any one time, that will have to be remain at 50 because, of course, the government's current COVID 19 rules, state 50, and college lectures are regarded as having the same status as any other indoor public event, and that's been capped at 50. We thought it was going to be increased this week. It's not. It's going to be remaining at uh, 50. It got confirmed uh, yesterday. Uh, And of course that 50 rule is also going to affect many people who had weddings planned for the rest of this month or into September or a winter wedding planned and had hoped that this week that figure of 50 was going to go to 100. We're going to be talking about that later on on the programme today. How the guidance remaining at 50, how it is going to affect weddings. If anyone has a short story uh, to share with us. I, I mean, I have heard of people who cancelled their weddings and rescheduled it, say weddings that were to happen early in the summer, rescheduled it for August and September in the hope that that figure of 50 would go to 100. I'm wondering what those people are going to do now. I've also heard of other people that as soon as COVID-19 happened and we knew there was going to be very strict guidelines around weddings and social distancing and that the wedding was going to feel very different, that people decided, OK, let's cut our losses for this year and have, have instead have rescheduled weddings for next year. 2021 uh, it is going to be probably the busiest year year we have ever seen in this country when it comes to uh, weddings. But anyway, it looks like now the wearing of face masks is also going to affect uh, college uh, students. And of course, yesterday we had another 50 cases of COVID-19 confirmed. Again, trying to find some good news in the announcement yesterday. It was yet another day where no death had been reported. So now we are at 10 days in a row without a death been reported and we'll take comfort from that but worrying to see the number of new cases at 50 let's dig down a little bit into though into that figure in light with the trend that we've seen in the recent weeks most of the latest cases were among younger people yesterday's figures, it was more young men than uh, women. And of the 50 cases, 42 were associated with outbreaks or were close contacts of a confirmed case. And again, they're the cases that Neffert wants to be picking up on. However, four were new cases. They involved community transmission, which means the source is unclear. They're the ones That our health chiefs worry about the most. And then, where was the spread around the country? County Wexford recorded the highest number of new cases with 11. Uh, We haven't heard Wexford being mentioned as getting a a spike in cases. There must be a worry in Wexford. There was 10 new cases in Kildare and I'm assuming those ones are still coming from the dog food plant. We're still getting cases from that. There was six in Dublin. There was five cases in Donegal and then there was 18 spread across nine other counties. Carlow, Cork, Limerick, Louth, Meath, Offaly, Sligo, Tipperary, and uh, Wicklow. So with the 18 spread across nine um the most we could have got was two cases out out of that so we're doing well we're we're doing well uh, here in cork but there are still these little random cases uh, coming up i think nearly every day there's been one or two cases here in cork we're still low in comparison and we are still lower than we have been say of early on when we were getting a lot more cases but it still is a real, real worry and of course the big talking point along with the pubs not being opened is all to do with the wearing of uh, face uh, masks, And Dr Ronan Glynn, the acting chief medical officer, while he was accepting, he knows that the decision yesterday not to move to phase four has been disappointing for many. You know, he went on again to point out that the priority for NEFET must be to control the spread of the virus in our communities and to protect the progress that has been achieved. And that's the one I think I'm as well constantly thinking about. We have made so much progress. It would be soul destroying if we had to go back to phase three or even go back to phase two because the number of cases kept rising, the number of people ending up in the hospital kept rising and all of the good work we have done, all of the terrific work, particularly that older people have done with the cocooning, if that was all to be eroded and we were back say in April when the figures were, were were very hard, that would be a very, very tough pill uh, to swallow. So the wearing of face masks in shops and shopping centres, that now is mandatory from next Monday. I mean, back a number of weeks ago when it was Leo, what, was it Leo Varadka who was he shook at the time? It was the Miho Martin. We were told we were going to all have to start wearing face masks inside in shops and at supermarkets. And we knew at the time it wasn't mandatory, but the belief was that people would just start doing it The advice is there. The science behind the wearing of the masks is there. And I certainly have noticed in the supermarkets, people certainly are bringing their A game. It is rare now that you will go into a supermarket and see somebody without a mask. And actually, if you do see somebody in a supermarket without a mask, they are the ones actually standing out because they're not wearing a mask we still need to get control on it on the smaller shops. Certainly when I'm going in and putting my mask on, I'm getting really good at it. But when you go into the smaller shops, you certainly can see it's probably a 50-50 split on the smaller shops. But from Monday, it is now mandatory. You must wear uh, your face uh, mask We already know it has already been mandatory for quite some weeks now on public transport. That's working well so now it becomes mandatory in all retail sectors from next Monday. And we're not the only country that's done this. That's why I'm saying the science is there and the science is proven behind it and we can stop the further spread of coronavirus if we all start wearing the masks when we're in retail in any kind of an enclosed uh, space. And looking at other countries and what they've Done with masks in Germany, for example. Back in April, they made masks mandatory in shops and on transports. That since been extended to schools in several states in Germany. We're not at this stage. I mentioned college students will have to wear them if they can't, if they're in a lecture hall with, a, and they can't remain more than two metres apart. They'll have to wear them for the moment. Schools, is that something that will change? It could change over time. In France, the wearing of masks in all indoor public spaces is compulsory. However, since the start of this week, the wearing of masks in outdoor settings has now been made mandatory in some French towns and cities. Most regions in Spain have been wearing masks and they made the compulsory wearing of masks in all public places. They've got a fine of €100 if a person is caught without a mask and of course in Australia the state of Victoria where the city of Melbourne is located they have recently they've gone into the six week lockdown but they've recently made wearing of masks compulsory for everyone over the age of 12 once they leave their home if you're in Melbourne or anywhere in the state of Victoria in Australia you have to wear face masks so we're not as strict as other countries but certainly other countries have are using and have been using and have made face masks mandatory way before we have. 1850-333-103 John Paul and Sadie taking your calls if there are anything anything you want to share with us text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 Patricia some people are very lax in supermarkets customers I mean about social distancing particularly since the wearing of the masks with no regard for how other people might feel about having their space invaded yeah, that's difficult. That That is a tricky one. I'm always conscious of if I'm standing, you know, particularly if you're looking for meat or you're looking at fruit and veg and I'm always conscious of am I spent taking too much time if I see somebody behind me waiting but I'd always personally making a point I'll wait I was getting bananas actually uh, the other day and there was a gentleman standing there looking at the bananas and I realised he was looking at his phone I think he was looking at a shopping list on his phone as well but I waited I didn't I kind of made a bit of a cough I think I did oh, I didn't make a cough I think I made a bit of a noise <laughs> I was going to say well I just cough because I don't think he realised and he still want me so no no take your time if you're going for the bananas I'll wait until you're finished But does everybody do that? No. I mean, it's just it's one of those things people go in and I think the wearing of the masks is almost making people feel a bit invincible as if they can invade people's space. But at least you know with everybody wearing masks, you're protecting them and they're protecting you as well. Just trying, if everybody could just try and hold back a little bit because that listener is right. You, you don't know what's going on in somebody else's world. You don't know how nervous somebody else is and why somebody is so protective of their space and why somebody would be so terrified of picking up COVID-19. So we all just need to be mindful of other people and be kind to other people as well. Who Another listener says, who will... When the wearing of mandatory wearing of masks next Monday will when I, will come in on Monday when I mention that listen says who's going to enforce the wearing of masks um, I'm hoping that the shop owners and shop staff do because some people are very care- careless I know John Paul is working on trying to get RG data on who represent all of the independent sh- shops because we spoke with them before about the wearing of face masks just to see how it's going to be enforced. Stephen Donnelly yesterday, the Minister for Health was sort of saying he reckons it will be self-policed, that people will just do it themselves. But if needs be, if the guardy need to be called, they will be called. But I think they're hoping it'll just be self-policed, that people will just know I could get a fine if I don't wear a mask and that people will just start to wear them. But only time will tell. But you're right, at the moment there is a sense of carelessness, but I think it's because people knew it wasn't mandatory and I think that threat of a fine I think will force people to wear their masks Uh, Patricia any idea how many live cases are in County Cork or in North Cork in particular at the moment we constantly hear that, that people say they would love that kind of information. They would love to know somewhere where you could go, somewhere online, some source where you could check where every day you would be able to see how many live active COVID-19 cases were in your area, be it in your town or even just in a general geographical uh, area. Very, very difficult to get that kind of information. I know up At the weekend, the figures that came out at the weekend uh, were showing that, for example, Cork is no longer reporting the second highest number of COVID-19 cases by county. We got passed out by uh, Kildare. There was a total of 27 cases reported right across the month of July. Now, we know... Since the end of July and the start of August we know the numbers every day have started to go up so you could assume that the number for the month of August is going to be higher in Cork but still very low number of cases. It was 27 across the whole month of Cork and I know up to the weekend there was no person with confirmed COVID-19 receiving care in any of our hospitals in Cork so all of that is a little bit of good news. I'll try and do a bit of digging later later on this afternoon and see if I can get any more detail as to more location-wise, where cases were. Because at one stage, they were doing it by the electoral area. They were telling you the number of cases. But what they, were t- what they were saying was the number of cases that have been reported. Many of those people, of course, will have fully recovered from COVID-19. But the actual active cases, don't know if I've ever come across anywhere that shows the cases that people are still active with it in an area, but leave it with me and uh, I'll see what I can do. And then somebody else? is saying Could people from Dublin and the UK, please stay away from tourist hotspots in particular, parts of West Cork. We don't have the virus here and we want it to stay away. The good news from a Dublin point of view is day on day when the figures are being reported. Traditionally, the bulk of the cases have been in Dublin. But looking even at yesterday's, when I was calling out yesterday's uh, figures, uh, Dublin didn't have one of the highest numbers. It was Wexford, I think, had the highest number of cases. They record, Wexford recorded the highest number of new cases yesterday with 11. And there was only six reported in Dublin yesterday. So it looks like Dublin Seem to be in some way getting the new cases under control. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul and Sadie, you're taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. And just a quick WhatsApp in saying hi, Patricia. Just wondering. How did Imelda got on uh, when she was talking about her daughter, Ashleen? I know she rejoined you on the programme yesterday after 12, but unfortunately I uh, missed it. Yeah, Imelda came back on to say thanks to the kindness of our listeners. She managed to get a boot for her daughter. This was Imelda's daughter, Ashley, who'd fallen off her bicycle back in May. They'd been going for physio and then they eventually ended up having to get an MRI done. A fracture was discovered. She was taken to CUH. CUH x-rayed rather than just taking the MRI result. And they said they couldn't see a fracture on the x-ray. They sent her home. Peralta Aisling was in a lot of pain. Melda joined us in desperation to try to get her daughter out of pain. Various, she wanted to get it strapped up. Various suggestions came in as to what Imelda could do, but including an offer of somebody who had a boot. We got some, somebody else had crutches for her. And yesterday was the first day that little, little Aisling was out of pain, which was uh, terrific. So, Imelda joined us yesterday just to thank everybody. And we'll keep in contact with Imelda just to see how Aisling gets on, particularly she'll be heading back to school in a couple of weeks' time. But somebody has said, people may also remember Imelda, who joined you on the programme. She was on the RTE programme pulling with my parents, trying to get a date for her lovely niece, Megan Scully at the Galway races. Uh, Megan is, is an author like her mother, Pauline. Megan wrote a book about unbroken love, about the tragic death of her father and brother uh, and well worth a buying. Thank you for all of that information and I didn't realise that, that we had a TV star in our presence when I was talking to him over the last couple of days. So thank you to, to the listeners who sent in that information. That was WhatsApp to 0862 103, 103. today
2: on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862
4: 103,
2: 103.
4: Now Councillor Noel McCarthy from Formoy regularly contributes to this programme. this morning he's joining me not in his council role but as the owner of an off licence who feels it is unfair that rural pubs are not allowed allowed to reopen. And uh, Noel joins me. Good morning to you, Noel. Sorry. Good morning, Noel. Good morning, Noel. Good morning, Noel. No, good morning, Patricia. you're there. Thank you. Uh, good morning. You're welcome to the programme. Now, Thank
5: you, Patricia. Now, Thank some
4: you. people will say, are you mad if pubs reopen, your off-licence business will certainly be affected?
5: No doubt about it. Yeah, and people did say that to me since the article came in the examiner yesterday. But when I was asked about it, I had to be truthful about it. I'm an ex-publican myself, Patricia. I had I owned a pub in Femoy for 12 years. I've been in the pub business all my life. So I'm friendly with a load of pub, pub owners, both in Femoy and in other towns. So I know what they're suffering. I know the frustration of them. And I also know from listening to new customers come into my business, which I'm very grateful that they do come in and I hope they will keep coming in, that they... These are the people now over the 40, Mark, that I think the new culture of younger people is that they go to the off-licence first have a few drinks and then go to their pub or their nightclub after. But the over-40s were never into that new culture, as we call it, and they were used to going to their pub for their social night out there. Um, you know, their banter, their watching sport on TV, meeting their friends, and that they can't get used to drinking at home. So I understand that problem as well, and it's definitely having an effect on them. Patricia, I think. And publicans are definitely suffering. And, uh, I mean,
4: has has your, how busy is your, has your business, has the off-license been since lockdown?
5: It, it, we've gone up at least 25%. Is it as high as that? Is. And, and, and we're grateful, and both Sharon and myself are very grateful for all the people that support us and to my staff have, have worked hard over it. And our motto is, it costs nothing to be nice. So, but we're very grateful for people. And at the same time, we must be, must be honest and say this continuation of not getting back to normal with the pubs open cannot continue. And publicans are, are, I think they're being a small business. I can understand the government being cautious, and I can understand the health experts on what they're saying. But at the same time, maybe the pubs should be given the opportunity to open like every other business maybe in a curtailed hours or something, I don't know the answers, but they should definitely get the opportunity, Patricia, I really do think they should, because they are suffering, and people that are used to going to the pubs are finding it very difficult that they can't get back to do. And drink; these people drink in moderation, retired people that love to meet their friends, as I say, love to have the social and banter, and they're missing that, and, and it's definitely having an effect on them, definitely is. Yeah,
4: and did it come as a, Were you surprised when it was announced that they couldn't reopen next Monday or were you expecting
5: it? I I, I think I was more surprised on the July the 20th one rather than this one. I was really surprised on July the 20th. I thought when the pubs and the restaurants were open that they'd they'd open them all together and give them that opportunity. And if there was a problem, then we'll then address it. But when I was listening to the news for the last week before, Uh, Going back, I was thinking to myself, yeah, there could be a problem now with August 10th as well. And I think even the future, I spoke to one publican yesterday and she was so concerned that what does the future hold for her and her family in a small rural pub that she she misses it, first of all. It's her livelihood. And where do they go from here? That's the biggest problem they have. Yeah, and I know when
4: when, when I was talking with the Vintners Federation, of of Ireland I mean they're accepting that all pubs won't reopen I mean there were some were just barely breaking even and they just will never be able to recover uh, from this and for moi is unusual is it true that there's have you any restaurants open selling drink at the moment
5: we have the Chinese, of course, and which are very good. And uh, I was well. With, they have their wine, or or in some places you're allowed to bring your own drink with you. Which yeah. I think happens in other towns as well. Absolutely. But we have no. Our hotel is closed, which is a huge loss to us. So as you can imagine, just for meeting people, having your, you, you, we have no hotel in my So then you have restaurants that only open maybe on the Saturday night that, and again, get served drinks. But if you have no place that you can go on a regular basis like we have in other towns that you can say we can get a drink in. You have no and gastropub? Pardon me. No. Yeah, a not,
4: hotel, yeah. Would, of course, would, would have catered yeah. for that. And, yeah. and tell me, about you've heard of elderly people using their bus pass to go to another yeah. town?
5: Yes, there is. Now they're doing nothing wrong. They're like they enjoy. They have the free pass. They have the. They'd like. They'd like their pint and stay in for and support local, of course. But they're now happy in a bus. I know one, one or two people that are doing it, having their dinner, having a couple of drinks with it to dinner, and they enjoy it. But they'd love to be able to do that in For and they really would, rather than go on the bus or rather than travel to another town, you know. But that's what's what, happening. That is what is happening Patricia. And, you know and that's because that's the reason I spoke publicly about it because these people deserve to be able to stay in their own town and and have their few pints do you feel the
4: time. government are a little bit out of touch with the how the restrictions are affecting rural Ireland
5: without a doubt that that's the other thing that's come to me like and i am again I'm no expert so I don't think people think that i'm I'm, I'm saying that I know this from my next point of view I don't but what I'm saying is the government like I can understand Dublin and all the, the, the outskirts of having these cases, but here in Tremoy and other towns like us, we don't seem to have to the amount of cases. Or, like These publicans are very professional people Like that I think if they were given the opportunity, they would run their pub in a proper manner with the HSE guidelines, like what all other businesses that are open are doing. And I think the government maybe need to look at that, maybe section it off or what, I don't know but i think the rural pubs have been unfairly treated because of what's happening maybe in the, in the bigger capital cities and i think that's something that could yeah. be looked at
4: but should that, that was way. why they all closed so so quickly before st patrick's day remember the scenes that came out from right. temple bar yeah. and yeah. and the and whole country suffered because of that and it's 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 ha- it's really hard to you can't compare a pub a big big super pub in dublin with a small pub in a, a town like Famoy, it's just it's chalk and cheese.
5: It's chalk and cheese, Patricia. Like like a crowd to something like you said something there while to go to some of these pubs are suffering before the, the lockdown came. And like in it's broader than the weekends, weeknights, if they had twelve or fifteen people, they'd have a crowd. So like they can manage that even now with with the HSC guidelines, no bother whatsoever. And then the weeks in the weekends, obviously they'd have to put more uh, things in place to to organise a bigger crowd. But these, but they can do it, and I know they could. And as I said, they only want to get back to doing what they were they were always doing: running a business, running running it the best way they could, and trying to make a few bob like everyone else. And I think they really are being denied that, and 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 I, and I can see it. And you said to me at to start, and as I met... Well, I appreciate the because I think everything wants to get back to normality as well. We all want to see that as much as we can.
4: Yeah, The big worry is the, and I mentioned it yesterday when we were talking, uh, what some health expert has warned of a tsunami of mental health uh, issues. Some people are really struggling at the moment with isolation and just trying to cope with everything that's going on with COVID-19.
5: Yeah, and, like, the pub was, a note, especially in rural areas, the pub was the place where they, they met their friends, they they spoke about everyday life and what was on the papers, what was said on the radio, and they missed that chat and they missed that banter. And I think having to stay at home, and these people wouldn't be used to drinking at home, um, Patricia, like I said at the start, they, they, they couldn't see the, the enjoyment in that. Their enjoyment is having a few pubs, pints with their friends. You know, the bar person or the barmaid, is huge conversation with that person. That's huge, and, and and they miss all that, and they'd love to get back to that again. And I think they should get the opportunity in some way of possibly reopened again. They must look at it. And I, well, I feel the government have a very difficult job, and I I, I understand their, their predicament they're in maybe they could look at it in a different way and give them an opportunity to open. I really think I hope All
4: right. Some people are just worried. Somebody's saying I was in a couple of pubs in Limerick. Last weekend, they were absolutely jam-packed. People are concerned and worried about that. Somebody else says, uh, what would Noel think of some of the pubs in Formoy opening in conjunction with the Chippers and get food delivered? And and that's happening in other areas where a local pizzeria are delivering pizzas to the bars. Yes.
5: Yes, they are, and again, I'm not sure how the guidelines work there. But I, like everyone must try to do the best they can, and if that if that can be allowed to happen, so be it. But like it, it, it's, you, sh- you shouldn't have the pubs having to bend the rules in any way to do that. They should be loud okay. open under the proper guidelines to be able to walk away the, the best way they can, okay. rather than doing this. I think that's very important. But
4: the other side of this is somebody saying, Noel is bad. we need to keep the bars closed. At the end of the day, the virus hasn't uh, gone away. And Noel, we know that Neffert are saying, you know, the numbers are rising. We don't want to go back to the number of cases and deaths that we witnessed in, in April and May.
5: No, and I agree with that. I, I understand that. I understand. That. But what I'm saying is that, other businesses like my own and other businesses have opened with the proper HSE guidelines. Maybe pubs should be curtailed on their hours. Maybe that would work i don 't know, but we definitely should be every opportunity or every avenue should be explored to see can they get back okay. up and running okay. well, I, I, yeah.
4: and and listen I, I, I I, I, and, we, and yeah. I appreciate you for for joining us and just put on your council hat now because i 've got a council question for you because reading all, the front page of yeah. the Avondo newspaper uh, today you couldn't help but have sympathy for the residents of, is it Coulard Housing Estate? Coolard,
5: yeah. Tell it's us what's, go, what's
4: going on it's there. A, it's in, in Cornview.
5: In Cornview. This is one that's going on for a few years now, Patricia. But the only thing is, this estate is a new estate, maybe less than 12 months in, up the top of Cornview. A lovely estate. It was a turnkey project that the council were involved in. And six houses up there and lovely people in there and everything is going great. But we have a laneway that runs at the back. It's like a shortcut for other uh, states that are in the area. It's a private lane, not um, council-owned or um, council-controlled. But I do agree with the residents there. We need to look at this. One thing that's come for me as a council for the last seven or eight years, we cannot seem to get um, everyone agreement on it, but we must look at it again. I have no doubt about that. We have to look at it because... Now, the six people that have moved into that estate, the six families, we'll say, are definitely suffering because of this back lane and the shortcut that's been taken and people climbing walls and upsetting the, the people that are living there. And we, we, we can't turn the blow out to it. now we need to go further again. And We're are they, there
4: are they young people from the area?
5: Oh, without a doubt. It's, it's, it's a laneway that's used by uh, both young and old for as a shortcut, as I say. But now it's kind of blocked in, so there's no control. It's just hop a fence. And there's a fence at one end of it and a fence at another end of it. And obviously what happens in there, no one has any control over it. Whether We we need to get everyone's involvement in both in the estates in Cornview, Donella and all to come together to discuss what would be the best options for everybody going forward. We have a problem. There's no doubt about that. We all
4: have right. a problem. All right, that's re- really, really difficult on the residents. OK, yeah. uh, Noel, we'll leave it there. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning morning to you. That is uh, Councillor Noel uh, McCarthy. I have to say, not everyone is in agreement uh, with Noel. John says, Patricia, please. uh, uh, John says, uh, Patricia, keeping the pubs closed is the correct decision. Pubs are vectors for spreading COVID-19. What we can all be sure of is that when pubs reopen, they they will put up their prices to make up for the closure period. Prices have been. Prices went up after the 2008 bank bailout. But if that happens, John reckons people will vote with their feet if prices go uh, up. And someone else says, "Am um, I hearing you right? Are you nuts to even consider opening pubs?" Did you not see all the trucks of dead people being carried away? Do you want to risk that just for booze? People need to get real. I don't want any pubs to open. If they insist their pubs open then I feel they should be alcohol free. right, that's some of your thoughts coming in on that. 1850 333 103 Sadie and John Paul taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 103
2: work today. today with Patricia messenger on c103 Cork It was last
4: October when it was announced that Formoy Town had been selected as the headquarters for the Gardas Protective Services Unit for the North Cork area. To update us on this story, I'm joined by Mary Crilly of the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork. But firstly, I'm joined by Detective Sergeant Deirdre Toohey. Good morning to you, Deirdre.
6: Good morning. Uh,
4: I'm very well and you're welcome. Now, the unit uh, officially opened this week. Can you just outline the work of the Protective Services Unit?
6: So the Protective Services Unit, um, we launched here in Fermoy on Tuesday, launched by Chief Superintendent Myers, and the Protective Services Unit is a specialised unit that will investigate instances of a sexual nature, child abuse, human trafficking, trafficking, domestic violence, and incidents of coercive control.
4: And are there similar units around the country?
6: Yes, the unit was established um, in line with Angardish Econa's Modernisation and Renewal Programme, and it's one of a number of nationwide initiatives to improve the policing service we provide to the public. Um, A number of units have been set up in in recent years, and we launched with four new units across the country on Tuesday.
4: Okay, and and I'm assuming the the idea is, is that every part of the country will eventually have one of these units, isn't yes, it? The, long, yes, that's not the long-term yes, plan? Yes, yes.
6: And it's the to provide, really, I suppose, a more, a more consistent approach, a highly consistent and professional approach to the investigation of these crimes, you know, of a sexu- sexual or domestic nature.
4: Yeah, and how many Gardaí are will be specifically attached to the unit?
6: So the unit here in Cork North will consist of two detective sergeants, myself and Detective Sergeant Danny Holland, and eight Detective Cardi, Um We'll, we will specialise in the investigation of these crimes and we'll be governed by a superintendent and an inspector here in Firmoy under the guidance of uh, the divisional officer, Chief Superintendent Myers.
4: And do you, do, do you and the other Cardi, do you receive specialised training?
6: Yes, we'll be fully trained and um, I suppose all of the the, the detective Cardi attached to the unit here have a wealth of experience, you know, garnered from different backgrounds and they're all experienced crime investigators.
4: Tough to deal with these crimes, Deirdre.
6: Yes, yes, yes. Difficult. Yeah, yeah. They're a particularly sensitive um, nature, I guess, and they're particularly, I suppose, tough for, for the injured parties and the the victims of these crimes. And we understand that, and we appreciate that. You know, it's very difficult for people to make that step um, to come to a guard station to report these crimes. So I suppose these these units, you know, you know, we can we want to guarantee that they'll be all held in the highest of confidence and. Um, you know, giving the maximum support along with, like Mary, the, in the Cork Sexual Violence uh, Clinic, you know, they provide um, unbelievable support to these people. And, you know, we just want to let people know that we're here. Yeah. And we would encourage people to come forward.
4: Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm assuming that units like this will give victims the confidence to come forward. I mean that's that's that that's what you would be really hoping for. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes,
3: yes, yes.
6: We oh. understand that they're particularly vulnerable and we know that they need to be supported and we want to for, for them the opportunity to report their crimes, as they say, in a very sensitive manners okay. manner. You know, they're complex investigations and they can be very intricate and they can take a long time. And they're they're difficult. They can be very difficult cases, and we understand that.
4: Okay, so you're officially up and running now in in yeah, Fomoy, yeah. but you've got a big wide area to cover.
6: Yeah, a very, a yeah. very, yeah. The geographical area, you know, um, extends really from Yall, I suppose, in the east of the county over to County in the west, and from the city bounds. We extend northwards towards Mitchelstown, Charleville, so it is a large yeah, geographical area. area. It's a big area. Yeah. Listen,
4: Deirdre, we wish you luck with it and thanks I'll let you go because I know uh, you're under pressure the with the time. Thanks speak to you. That's perfect. I'll pick it up with Mary. Thank you for okay, that. Okay, thank you,
6: Patricia. Bye-bye. Bye. That
4: is uh, Detective Sergeant uh, Deirdre Toohey. Mary Crilly of the Cork Sexual Violence Centre is uh, also on the line. Good morning to you, Good morning, Mary. To
7: you. Mary, how important
4: are units like this?
7: Well, I think the one in Cork was open about two years, the one in Anglican Street in Cork. And I found a phenomenal support because you'd have a lot of people coming in who say, I don't know whether they want to report or not. Is there any guard I can talk to? And I found the protective service unit would either come here to talk to someone or else would arrange to meet somewhere else to go through what's involved in reporting. So, And then they can make a very clear decision about what they want to do. I found them really great in that kind of way. Or it kind of stopped the stuff that was happening over the years where somebody might say, look, I'm with a really good guard out in whatever area, but he's off the car, or I can't get him, or he's been moved. So you have one unit where, you know, um, everybody to work in that unit has been interviewed. They haven't just fallen into it or kind of um, decided they want to work in it. They've all been interviewed for it and with all the other units. So I think it puts the spotlight on sexual violence, which is what's needed, unfortunately. You know, unfortunately, sexual violence is happening. It's an epidemic, I think. So this puts the spotlight on it. And just from run that, you probably saw the report that came out this morning, the I'm Tom O'Malley report. I'm yeah. really... Despairing about it. Um, Why? I mean, well, we're waiting two years for that, and I reckon I, I do always welcome anything that you know talks about sexual violence and improving things. But I don't see this any way improvement If I to look at the report, and if I was to be asked, well, will that make a difference? Somebody coming to court might say very little. I mean, one thing in it would be say, you know, that the courts might be closed. In you know, people might get it, say, in a rape case. The courts are closed, you'd have something up in the door saying in camera, which means nobody can come in. But a lot of cases that needs to be sexual assault in the circuit court. Uh, the last time I was in court with somebody, a young girl, who, you know, her father was been taken to court for abusing her, there was 40 people in the room. And she's even to climb over a few young men with their legs stretched out to try and go up to the witness stand. And that's what you're dealing with. So I do welcome changes like that where it will be closed, where it will be held faster. But as regards any difference in the system, that already doesn't work, I think it's like putting a plaster on something that's awful. And I think to use the language, you know, that um guidelines on or we bring out guidelines for discounts for guilty pleas. In other words, if somebody pleads guilty, they already get discount. Gonna be more of a discount for them if they plead guilty. That kind of language. Or if we stop bringing in a woman's past sexual history or give her full legal representation, we're upsetting the balance. That's what they use. Um we're upsetting the the well-established balance. There isn't a well-established balance. The conviction rate is so low in this country. I really hope for reform. I'm not knocking everything, but this isn't reform.
4: OK, and of course, the um, this O'Malley report was established by the um, former Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan. That was shortly after the rugby players, Paddy Jackson and uh, Stuart Olding, were acquitted of raping the woman and, in Belfast. And I can
7: understand people are saying, don't name the accused. Well, yeah. don't, don't name them. I don't have a deal with that. Don't name them. I mean, they're named in every other crime, but um, I can understand why people don't want them named, but this still doesn't um, change what happens in court when somebody goes to court. Um, I find the guards have changed substantially and phenomenally in the services they're providing and in what they're do, trying to do, but you go into court, you're back um, you're back in the last century. You really are. The victim has no support as such. She will often say, when am I meeting my solicitor or my barrister? Well, that will be never because you don't have one because the state will have somebody to take the case on your behalf, who, like, say, for example, I remember being in court with a man last year who had been abused in the school, um, and because the barrister can't go through what questions he might be asked, he was really thrown because he's asked him um, a list of questions about who's taught what subjects when he was in school 40 years ago. Now, think about somebody who's been traumatised and who was abused in the school. You barely remember who he sat beside, let alone this kind of stuff. And this is all used to discredit him they try trying kind to of say, well, he really doesn't remember things, so how can he possibly remember something something else? And that's what's mm. used in court, the whole discrediting something. But just one point I'd love to make about during the um, lockdown, like we were open every day, not physically, but we were here in the centre every day, and it gave us the opportunity to contact 30 people who were on the waiting list. So that's one good thing that came out of it. But the people were saying to me, but there's probably no assaults or no rapes during lockdown, and the sexual assault treatment unit, um, had something like 30 rapes coming up to May and that wouldn't have been domestic violence stuff it would have been young girls in apartments not being able to get home but really friendly with whoever was next door um, and they got sexually assaulted so My the, the assaults continued not to the same extent but it continued but for me it kind of broke the idea that people have that it's a young girl and she's out and she's drunk and she can't remember what happened anyway um, it's about, again, we're just back to power and
4: control. And, and, and I also read the piece in the Echo or earlier this week of that you're working with Katrina Toomey, well known on this programme from Cork at Petty Dinners. Uh, sexual assaults on homeless
7: women. And I think, you know, we, over the years... Um, like 37 years I'm here now, we would have met a lot of homeless women over the years who would be brought over by agencies, by other people who want to get some support and counselling. Now, counselling will not work for somebody who has no grounding, who has no other support, who can't go into it. It's more or less, the homeless women would say to us, I know it's going to happen to me again, so what's the point? I'm not going to report it this time because it keeps happening. And it's nearly always, there's somebody in the group, it's oh not the kind of say young coming up who decides she's fair game, which happens as well. But again, we're back to 80% of people in any area of society are raped by somebody who they know. I remember living um, in a house I was living in, God, about six, seven years ago, and there were steps beside the house, and there was a few people drinking there, and they weren't bothering me or anybody. I remember three men and a woman, and they were chatting away. And then later on the night, I noticed one of the guys um, asked the woman to do something for him. I'm not going to go into any detail. And then the yeah. other three kind of hopped on her as if, okay, we've all had our drinks. Now, this is your role now to do whatever we want to do to us. Oh I was a bit God. taken back by it. I had heard about it, but there I was. I just thought. So, you know, that is happening. And, yeah, and they happening probably nowhere.
4: are the most vulnerable women in society when it comes to the threat of a sexual assault.
7: I think they are. I mean, there's yeah. nowhere to go. They've no home. They've no grounding. They've no support. Um, a lot of them might have even left home. Because they're abused as children, I mean that'll be quite common, or because they have some kind of addiction problem. But unfortunately, again, they use kind of a fair game, and it's happened to you so often. What's one more? What's one more time? They've okay. used that language with like me and said that the men would say. Sure, it's happened to you so often. You won't even remember it.
4: OK, and back to what we started, this uh, Protective Services uh, unit, which is now open uh, in Formoy. Do you hope that it will give confidence to oh, victims really to come forward? Oh, I'd
7: really ask people them. i really ask people if they're unsure about reporting, if they're unsure about what to do, please ring them, bring the Protective Services and talk to them and go in and meet them or they'll come up to meet you and go through kind of what's involved. It just helps me- people make a very concrete decision that being unsure, they're unsure about going into the guard station and who's going to be on reception. So, yeah, I really welcome about, okay,
4: and actually, when I when I knew we were going to be discussing this, because I didn't know much about it, so I I was looking into it uh, during the week. I mean, it was first launched back in 2017 with the plan that all 28 Garda divisions would have this specialist in investigation of sexual crimes uh, unit. They've been slow enough coming forward, haven't they? Very opening? slow, and we
7: brought it up every time at a joint police committee, and brought it up everywhere. And no, we kept getting back but it's funding, it's funding. I think that local guards did want it, in fairness, they did want it because it suits them to have the investigations in one unit. But the funding doesn't seem to be coming forward for us. It's a
4: real pity. It's a real pity because yeah. somebody's yeah. saying, "Is is there a unit in West Cork?" The there's West one one Gard- yeah. Gard- there's one it's to open. open week, Brilliant. Opening, Brilliant. Yeah. I think it's going to be in
7: Dunman anyway. it's where they're going to be based. And um, so Chief Superintendent Con Cadogan is in charge there.
4: Fantastic news. Okay, listen, uh, Mary, a pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank, thank, you. thank you for that. And thanks, okay, uh, thanks. for joining us. That uh, is uh, the wonderful Mary Crilly of the Sexual Violence uh, Centre in Cork, 1850 Let me quickly look at some of your call. Cor- oh, no, I won't. I'll leave the text. I just want to give uh, a mention to this because i don 't know uh, are there others in the same boat are do others n- or if people know of others in the same boat this came into us from a listener by e- emailing patricia c 103ie wants to remain anonymous and you 'll understand why when I read it out it says Dear Patricia, I am a full-time HSE home care assistant working in the North Cork area. In a few weeks' time, I will turn 70. Happy birthday to you. I understand the current policy is that those of aged 70 and over are expected to cocoon and not go to work. I've requested via my local coordinator an exemption to this policy which was unfortunately declined due, they say, to the risk. I know I am one of several other home care assistants in my area, very unhappy about being forced to stop working, where in fact the risk is very low. Where is the increased risk when the following is true and verifiable. One, I wish to continue working full time. Two, I'm of good physical and mental health. And by the way, a doctor's letter provided by, to my coordinator to prove it. I am working over 24 years as a home care assistant, previously known as the Home Help. I've completed all the manual handling and PPE training. Those over 70 who want to work and are in good health should be allowed to do so. I'd like your help to gather support on this as I believe otherwise they will not will not get the attention it desires. And that's just signed by a current uh, worker. Now, I don't know how many others, home helps, home care assistants as they're called now, over the age of 70 are coming up. To 70 are going to be in the very same boat as this listener. There will be some people who, when they hit 70, are only too happy to sit down and say, I've done my bit, I don't want to work anymore. But here we have somebody who is physically very well, mentally very well, obviously absolutely adores her job, 24 years doing it as a home help. I'm assuming has built up wonderful relationships with some of the clients and some of the households that she has been going into over that time and is willing and is able and is, wants to work but because of her age has now been told due to COVID-19 she needs to cocoon and not at uh, work. Uh, I'm wondering how people and I'm really taken aback as well because we know within the HSE itself that they have a problem getting getting home care assistance because people are leaving and actually it's, it's an issue we're going to be dealing with in, in this hour on the programme. Uh, people leave and go to other jobs that they they perceive are easier jobs that are better paid jobs so it isn't always possible to hang on to all the home home helps so i would have thought that when you have a really good dedicated home help you do everything in your power to make sure that he or she stays working with you with you but because of age i suppose if we get onto the hc and you know that's what they'd say our hands are tied they're get into individual cases but they'll say their hands are tied the rules thems are the rules and the rules state that at 70 a home care assistant or home help must give up are any anybody else, as this sister this feels, there are others in the same boat. If anybody wants to tell us their story or share their concerns, please do. 1850 333
2: 103. C103 Jobs.
4: Childbinder Wanted. It's for a one year old little girl. It's in the Mallow area. You need to have your own transport, please. While Inchidani Lodge and Spa, they are looking for, they full and part time vacancies. They're looking for receptionists, waiting staff chefs and they're also looking for spa therapists. A person is wanted for a fast food takeaway that's in McCroom, while a plasterer is wanted to work in the Carrigaline uh, area. You'll find all of the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more.
2: Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103,
4: 103. Now, if you have a loved one at home in need of care, you may struggle to find affordable care in your area. So, to talk to us about what's on offer from a company called homecaredirect.ie, I'm joined by the founder of the company, uh, Michael Harty. Good morning to you, Michael.
8: Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me on. Well,
4: you you're very welcome. I suppose, start at the beginning. You set this company up, I believe, about seven years ago. Can you just explain how the company came about?
8: Yeah, well, actually, the, the company is, is newer than that. We we set up about two years ago, but uh, about seven years ago, I actually set up a a, a traditional home care agency. Um, and uh, we became a HSE-approved provider. And um, But about two years ago, Um, ourselves and the sector in general uh, came up against headwinds and and it was basically around the difficulty of getting carers, of of recruiting carers and retaining them. Um, It was was a huge issue Um, and um, uh, the reasons simply for it was that caring wasn't a very attractive career because of poor wages, because of little career pathway and um, a lack of guaranteed hours, etc. And, and we kind of had decided, well, look at, there must be a better way of delivering home care that puts carers more at the center of what we're doing. And, and then because of that, uh, delivering better care for families, because at the end of the day, you know, if you have a happy, well rewarded carer, um, uh, that's going to deliver into Better home care for families, and better
4: absolutely, service. and it's the same. I think in any business, if the if the worker, or the employee is happy, content, and is in, and and they are enjoying the work that they're doing, of course, are going to provide a better service.
8: Yeah, I mean that that's human nature, and especially so in a sector like home care, Patricia. Which is such a personal service, and it's such a big decision for uh, somebody or a family to 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 decide. We need help, we need support, we need somebody to come in to look after a loved one. Um, and so absolutely, you want somebody who um, who is proactive, who is motivated, who enjoys their work. And, and there are some fabulous um, carers out there. But as I said, the, the, the issue uh, was that um, because it wasn't an attractive career, a lot of these carers were leaving for other sectors uh, to work in the local retail outlets, to work in the local hotels. And so you you had, uh, you know, your traditional agency had a very high turnover of of, of staff. And that in itself has huge consequences for for quality because uh, obviously you want the same carer week
4: in, um, week out. For continuity of care. Yeah, continuity and of do you care. believe we are losing and have lost good carers to other industries because uh, of paying conditions?
8: I, I, absolutely. I think there is absolutely no doubt about that, um, that there are people, great carers, who have not been able to make a proper career as a caring, who have been under financial pressure, um, um, and who have decided to go and work on the local little or the local hotel or whatever. and Because remember, it is a tough job. Kate. It is? Yes, yeah. it's a very rewarding job but it's a very, very tough job.
4: Okay, um, so just explain how your company, e, how does that differ from other home care providers?
8: Yeah, so, so basically what Home Care Direct is doing is removing, if you like, the middleman and empowering and enabling local carers to work directly with local families. Um, now, what that means, number one, is you're taking out the cost of an agency, um, which means the cost of the service is less for the family, but perhaps more importantly, more funds flow to the carer. So what we're doing is, I suppose, is making it easy for, for local qualified carers to work for themselves. What our platform does is puts them in contact with clients, and families who are looking for care, but it also handles all their administration, all their invoicing, all their payments, etc., etc. et cetera. So all they have to do, I suppose, is concentrate on onboarding clients and delivering great care. Um, and so for the feedback that we get from clients is, yes, they're delighted with, with the, 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 the savings that's there, but what they're happiest with is the... That they're, that they're getting this proactive motivated care who's happy in the career and a care who who views them as their as their client if you like rather than the agency's client and so, so so they're getting that at that, that quality care and they're also getting um continuity so at its base I suppose what our platform is trying to do is turn caring into an attractive out of and make a deal.
4: And you know the people and the person knows you and there's I yeah. And but how do you go about matching a carer to a family? How does that part of it yeah, work? Yeah, well
8: so 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 the first thing is that carers apply to us. All the carers in the platform are properly recruited. That means that they're interviewed, they've got vetted, um, and they're reference checked. Um, and so anything that they put up on their Um, sets up an account goes onto the platform and says well look I need care for my mum in 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 Cork City or or McCroom or whatever and then what will pop up is carers in that area who are available for work now what they'll see the the way that the the carers are 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 shown is that they'll see the care that lives closest to their mum or dad first because we want carers and families who are local to work um, and they can see on the profile the experience the carer has, qualifications they have, what they're charging. Um, and then what they the next stage then would be that they would message those carers and give them a little bit of initial data saying, look at hi, um my mom is in the crew, she needs a bit of uh care, she's early stage dementia, um are you available for a chat? And then they would talk, they would have a chat, uh, see if there's a fit there and then agree um a price and also when it cares to be delivered um and then um the 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 actual shall we say there's a a gps or electronic clock in clock out so families can see when carers have arrived when they've left carers can leave digital visit notes to to leave information to say look at your mom had her shower this morning she had a good breakfast etc etc um so the families are in control um and the important thing is that it's the families who are choosing to care themselves. Um, and, uh, and you know, it's, it's not always on the qualification. What might be more important for the family is that the carer has an interest in gardening because their mum loves their, their gardening, mm. etc. So those are the types
4: of things that you can yeah, see and on and the profile I, and I love that care. I love the idea. Um, and I think families will like the idea, Michael, of the continuity of care. Um, because some of the other agencies, and it's not their fault, but as we've outlined that they can't always keep the staff. It can be, I would, I would have heard over the years of complaints, some people saying, my mum, you know, likes a particular carer, but doesn't like, for whatever reason, personalities don't get on, doesn't like another particular carer. I never have any say over what carer arrives. Whereas your setup is completely different.
8: Absolutely, it, it, it our, our setup drives continuity, uh, and because the um, if shall we say, it, number one has been properly rewarded, number two is 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 deciding which clients and which families they're working with because it's a joint decision, obviously. Um, what that means is that it's a much more of a long-term relationship, and there's not a, a third party deciding. Well, look, we've actually got to move that care to another family or into another situation or whatever. The care and the families are in control themselves. And you're right; I mean, the two the two most important pillars of great home care, Patricia, are happy, well rewarded care. And continuity, and once you have those, everything else is 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 uh, is secondary, and uh, and that really is the key. Now, look, Tricia, we don't pretend that um, our model is suitable for all uh, care situations or indeed all carers. Um, if you have an elderly person, maybe that doesn't have a, a family support or family ad- advocate, it, it's probably best that they maybe go with a, a full agency service. Um, uh, if you have a carer who maybe is maybe not quite as motivated, quite as proactive, or is the type of carer who maybe has, you know, cause and sick and everything, you know, they, not that they're a bad carer, but they might be better off staying with an agency. Um, but what we're trying to provide is choice in the market, um, choice for carers and choice for families Um
4: and you say each each carer sets their own price per hour. What does that ra- what does that range from what's lowest to yeah, highest? So,
8: so look at I mean the, the top line economics of the home care sector petition would be roughly care uh, agencies your typical traditional agencies are charging around 26 euros an hour and they're paying carers roughly 12. On our platform what we're seeing is carers are are charging on average around 20 21 euros an hour. So so there's a saving for families there of five or six euros an hour. And there's a significant upside for carers. And it just means that carers can make a decent living from uh, from caring. Okay. So, so now, look, at, as I said, the, the, the rate that the carers put up are what are terms their are advertised by. So if a family comes to care and says, well, actually, look, if we want you six hours a day, Five days a
4: week. Can I strike so, a deal with you? Absolutely. The yeah,
8: care is probably okay. going to say, well, actually, do you know what? I can do that for 15 or 16 years. All
4: or right, okay. That's good. Um, to hear. Or if
8: a family comes and, and maybe.
9: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
0: Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
1: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.
8: and they've listed them and said, well, the care might say, well, look, actually, I-, I need to charge a little bit more. Or maybe um, the family are living a little bit further away, and they might say, look, I need to put in something for um, for travel or whatever. So each case, as I said, the care is advertised, you know, for a typical case, I'm charging 20 euros an hour. But each case, can be negotiated individually depending on the complexity depending on the the geographical and location side of things depending on the number of hours and and once again what that ensures is that you know each case is judged on its own merit
4: yeah and and the nature of caring will will never be the same by the way do you register people when over the age of 70 as carers yes we, 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 we. <laughs> no the reason <laughs> I ask a, you is the reason question. I ask you is I had I had a, 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 a heartbreaking email in from a, a listener who's going to turn 70 in a couple of weeks time 24 years as a, as a home care assistant previously as a home help really dedicated physically good health mental good health as doctor's letters to prove it all of the manual handling all the PPE training mm-hmm. and she's been told by the HSC she has to cease work she's expected to cocoon and not go to work and she's she'd requested an exemption to the policy and been declined. So she, no, she could jump ship and move to your company.
8: <laughs> no, yes, we, we do have carers in the 60s up on the, on the platform and also as well, I, you know, very often care is, a lot of it is about social interaction.
3: That's right?
8: it. That's it. And that's it. People are, 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 and very often people are delighted to have somebody their own age who might have similar interests, similar memories, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so the short answer is yes, if, if, if they're willing and able, um,
4: um, and have all the qualifications and everything. All well, right, listen, uh, Michael. Um, how people? Are, how can people find out more? It's HomecareDirect.ie.
8: Dot ie, dot IE. That's right. Okay. and we actually have a, a, a regional ambassador in the Munster area Aileen Lynch and she can be contacted uh, on her on her mobile which is aileen dot lynch at homecaredirect.ie but the easiest is to go on to the website homecaredirect.ie uh, and have a look and, uh, and contact us for any okay. further information that people
4: need Alright well, we wish you luck with it uh, Michael in the meantime thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme Thank you so much, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, Michael Harty there of homecaredirect.ie. If you are looking for home care or like our listener, if you are a carer, uh, give, take a look at their website. Give them a call. 1850 333 103. John Paul, taking your calls. So you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103.
1: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: Cork today on Scene 103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850 333
4: 103 And on the listener that contacted us because she has to give up her job as a home help with the HSC because she turns 70 in the next few weeks and she says in her email that she understands the current policy is that those aged over 70 are expected to cocoon and not work A listener says I didn't think cocooning was mandatory just a strong suggestion does this, le- does this lady have a contract of employment she signed up with with the HSE and does it expire at the age of 70? I'm assuming that that's what it is as well because cocooning was never mandatory it was only a suggestion even though a number of work companies brought that in when cocooning was introduced the people over the age of 70 are being paid but they've been paid to stay at home so I'm assuming it's based on that but it is very possible that the contract expires at the age of uh, 70 and she's just going on the line that she's fit, she's healthy, both mentally and physically she's very well. Her doctor says she's very well. Her doctor feels she can continue the job. She's all of the training done. And the most important part is she has 24 years of service doing a job that she absolutely loves but the HSE said, you know, the computer says no and when the computer says no, that's, you know, it's the same with a lot of our state agencies, there's just no bending or no flexibility around it at all that's why I thought it was interesting that we got that email in on the day that Michael was joining us about his company so maybe for that listener it's it's another avenue for her she can continue doing the work but just rather than doing it with the HSE she'll end up doing it with a different uh, company Uh, 1850 333103 am I going to I am okay I'm going to Mallogar the station where I'm joined by Sergeant uh, John O'Leary good morning to you John Morning Patricia. You're, you're welcome to the programme. Okay, uh, this week's guard the File. You want to start with some criminal damage that was done in Castle Park in Mallow.
10: Yeah Patricia, yeah, last Friday at 6.30pm we got a report of a damage to a window of a house at uh, Maple Avenue in Castle Park in Mallow. Uh, it also damaged uh, the, the bonnet of the car as well I suppose. When it hit the window it hit the car and damaged uh, the car as well. Now, we're interested in, a, in a, what people saw was a red car with an The make is unknown, and there was three to four males in the car. We have no reason for the criminal damage or the reason why. It could be just a random act of violence. So it was uh, like half past six in the evening last Friday. uh, Bank holiday just gone. So we appealed to anyone, like Castle Park is, as you know, a large area, a built-up area. And if anybody saw a red car or anyone fitting that description or maybe people with uh, dash cam footage or anything that would help us try and find out who these people are that caused the damage to the window and uh, and, and to the bonnet of the car as well we'd appreciate a call okay. to Malagawa station somebody
4: yeah. might have dash cam footage and pick up yeah. the registration yeah. number yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. of the car so that was about yeah. half past six half past six last Friday last, last Friday yeah. Yeah. ok dog thefts is an issue we've certainly we've been dealing with on the programme and actually I'm just after seeing that um, somebody in Newmarket has contacted us to say a collie dog has gone now, this has gone missing. Let's just yeah. hope it's just gone missing between Johnsbridge and Bantir wearing a collar. It's uh. a child's pet, so obviously a child is If so keep a lookout for anybody sees a collie dog between Johnsbridge and Bantir. But yeah. dog thefts, John, still very much going on.
10: Yeah, it's prevalent, all right. Um, I mean, we have uh, a large amount of it going on. As we know, we had success maybe two weeks ago in Melbourne recovering two dogs. As I said, one which we identified because of the dog being microchipped, and the other one uh, not identified as of yes, but isn't being looked after and being looked after well at the moment, like, you know. So,
4: is that, that dog still not being no. the No, ah. Yeah,
10: that's the one uh, you see the picture of it. Uh, it was cowering away in the corner. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a very distressed dog now in fairness like you know and it's still not still not uh back to his bubbly self like you ah, know less yeah less it's, it's
4: it's a member of the stations looking after him. Uh yep.
10: yeah at the yep. moment, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So look we're just advising everyone like, take precautions uh, for their dog safety um, for, and for your dog security. Uh, we will recommend that dogs are microchipped so they can be easily identified as I already said and if found uh, we can return them to their owners and remember like if you have purchased the dog to get the details and the chip updated any vet will do that for you to reflect your details like you know not the previous owners and place the contact details let's say on their conor, collar with a little tag and to update that as well. Just case they as like maybe the dog that escaped from John's Bridge, you know, that maybe went off on a off on a run itself like, you know, that if it is found that someone can ring you and uh get the dog back to you. And if you do find a dog just you know and you return it to the owner, just make sure that they're they're genuine and they are the owners of the dog like, you know, maybe someone have a driving license with him and make sure you'll give it back to the proper person like, you know.
4: And, yeah, I did an interview on Tuesday with the 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 Facebook, the Missing Dogs Island Facebook uh, yeah. page, um, uh, Kate O'Connor, who set that up, uh, joined us. And we were talking about the, you know, she used the word, it's an epidemic, the amount of dogs that have been stolen, particularly during lockdown. And that's because more and more people were at home and decided this is a good time to get a dog and for a dog to settle into the house. And I could understand all the reasons why people went for dogs during lockdown. But we need to stop the trade of yeah. these criminal breeders and people who are stealing dogs to to order so you've got to be very careful if you you go down the route of buying a dog where you're buying that dog from
10: Exactly. Where you're buying the dog from, you can look at all these websites or these, uh, these uh, sites that are selling dogs. You can nearly know by the picture on the, uh, on the site whether the dog is, you know, a uh, dog that is calm and uh, will pose for a picture practically, but you have other dogs. They're, like the dog we had cowering in the picture and they don't want to be there, they don't want to be, you know, photographs taken, they're, 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 they're not happy. You, we all know what a happy dog is like, you know, we all have them at home and it's an awful loss for a family when their pet is taken 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 by, as you would call them, these unscrupulous and tests and they do not treat the dogs properly either like it's there to make a quick buck like you know. Yeah,
4: And Um, and a lot of money the price of dogs shot
10: up. Yeah that's what I'm saying like if you have a high value breed of a dog like you have to consider CCTV and CCTV you know you you can get a system for maybe what half the price your dog is worth like you know Mm -hmm. and it is a great crime prevention measure if you have the CCTV have the sign up that you have CCTV it make these people think about it and they'll they'll go somewhere else where they have an easier uh, uh, time of taking Dogs like you know, and like, like there were 10 dogs recovered in Limerick there uh, on the 1st of August uh, down in Rekheel, and there was a wide variety Labradors, Springer Spaniels, English Setters, Cavalier, King Charles, and Huskies. So, like, they're being cared for in a shelter at the moment. So, if anybody wants to look up to guard the uh, um, Web, Facebook page they can see these dogs which on, is the dogs because they could
4: have been stolen from anywhere in the country
10: Any, anywhere in the country yeah. they might even be stolen from England we don't know you know uh, they can be taken from anywhere in, and, and, and transported in or out of the country uh, as you say there's people making a lot of money out of yeah. these dogs yeah right?
4: and I know one of those dogs has returned because it had a microchip so exactly the,
10: the, the microchip is the answer for the sake of I don't know what it costs a microchip a dog 20, 30 euros is well worth it yeah you know?
4: absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. and uh, we just did an interview uh, in this yeah. hour with the services uh, unit that's operating in Formoy for, yeah. for the whole of the North Cork area. It's
10: for the whole, yeah, on Tuesday last I was you you speaking to, to Detective Sergeant Toohey, Deirdre Toohey, uh who was here in Mallow with us and has now gone to Formoy the protective services unit has been set up it's, as explained, it's a de- dedicated unit of, we've Ten Garda members, two detective sergeants, there's Deirdre and Danny Holland, and eight Detective Gardaí, and they're there to investigate serious crimes. Every crime is serious, I suppose, but child abuse, human trafficking, sexual and domestic violence, uh, and they will be based in my and um, like they will in- investigate all crimes across the Cork North Division of Mallow, Middleton and for my districts. I suppose the establishment of the PSU represents, I suppose, another milestone in Un chicana in the modernisation and renewal programme that uh, the Commissioner has launched. It is one of uh, a number of initiatives designed to improve uh, how we uh, police the, the service uh, for the public, you know, and um, like, it's an extremely difficult for victims of crime uh, to report you know, incidents of this nature and like a coordinated approach between Angarda Shikana and other organisations who will come across these things where people might, you know... Uh, reveal to them when they're talking to them of what's after happening and then to refer to ourselves and in the protective services unit will take on the investigation like they're kind of complex investigations and you know we need to give these people maximum support so that they can come forward and make statements which is not an easy thing to do at times like you know Absolutely. They're very Absolutely. difficult things to deal with like you know yeah. and
4: uh, as I said Tim, when I was chatting with you it's tough, it tough work,
10: it's tough work for the guards. It's very tough work You, you yeah. it, it's a big undertaking by the lads now, the, the two sergeants and the Guards to take these things on us. It's, 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 uh, we, well. yeah. we wish them yeah. well. We wish them well. All
4: right, uh, John, oh, a pleasure yeah. as always. Thank you for Thank that. You. Uh, we'll talk Thanks. again. Thanks. Thanks a million, okay. Sergeant uh, John O'Leary, based at Mallow, guard the station for this week's uh, Guard the Five. And that dog that uh, Dennis in Newmarket has asked us to call out a collie dog uh, gone missing between John's Bridge and Bantir is wearing a collar. It's a child's pet, and there is a little child very upset trying to find their collie dog. If people can keep a lookout for for that if anybody's out and about Johnsbridge Bantier area if you spot a lost looking collie dog 086 1647863 that's 086 1647 863 uh, if you can contact that number please that's uh, Dennis's and thanks to Dennis in Newmarket for that hopefully that dog will be found sooner rather than later and returned to that heartbroken child OK
2: Work today with Patricia Messenger on C103. C103. <C-3>
4: Day. We had a listener asking us about day centres, for particularly for older people. And was there any hope or any chance that any of them were going to reopen? And could we get any indication as to when they were going to reopen? Because there are many older people who would regularly have attended day services in uh, day centres, one, you know, one day a week in their area, and they really, really are uh, missing them. So we sent an email off to the HSE to see if they could give us any idea on when these uh, day centres would reopen. And they got back to us to say that all community health care organisations, and they're the ones who run all of these different day services, have been issued with guidance relating to the safe reopening of day services for older people. A risk assessment of services will be done locally and if viable, day services will resume in the next few months not weeks, it's months where when we're safe to do so and where public health guidance can be maintained regarding infection control and social distancing. Now they do tell us that not all day services will be suitable for reopening due to the physical nature of the building but the HSC say that once they know what services are unsuitable for reopening, they're, going to, they're hoping to plan to deliver a service using alternative delivery models. So we'll keep a close eye on that. And they say their priority at the moment is to open the services with our, which are suitable without uh, delay. So we'll keep a close eye on that. But they're saying it'll be in the next few months that the day centres for older people will reopen and by the way for people and I know we've we've run several interviews on it here on this program people waiting for adult day services for adults with special needs and intellectual uh, disabilities and physical disabilities, when are, when are they going to reopen? Actually, tomorrow we're going to be speaking with St. Joseph's Foundation on uh, the programme here about when, how they hope to reopen. But if you go onto the HSC's website, hsc.ie forward slash new directions, and then you follow down through the link and you'll find where for Cork and Kerry, they have listed all of the service providers in the area for adults with disabilities and then they, they've contacted all of them and they've asked all of the service providers to indicate when they're going to reopen now they're awaiting a response from some of the providers but just clicking on it now I can see for example some of the COPE Foundation their different Day centers and different bases opening on a variety of different days from the 31st of August to the 17th of August. Some will open in September. And you can go right down through it for I'm looking at the Cork Association for Autism. They have dates when they're going to be resuming services. Enable Ireland have uh, responded. The Irish Wheelchair Association is hoping to be back up and running. Their dates are in, along with the Kerry pa- Parents and Friends Association. They have some dates up, but they're awaiting a response from others. Nua is up there. They've got their dates already in place. Actually, some of the newer ones have already uh, opened uh, rehab care, and the list literally goes on and on and on. And you literally go in, you find your service provider, and you'll be able to find out when if they have responded but they've all been told that they need to uh, respond that's on the hse.ie forward slash new directions if you want to check that out and hi Patricia just wondering is disability uh, payment has that gone weekly as I'm not sure I actually would much prefer says this texter to have the payment uh, every two weeks okay we mentioned this last week this got announced that some of the Department of Social Welfare uh, payments a number of social welfare payments have moved they moved to Fort Lightly at the end of March and And some have been restored back to a weekly service and flicking down through the list for this listener, the disability allowance and disability benefit is remaining fortnightly, as is a a lot. Actually, the bulk, the vast majority of them, I have to say, are remaining every two uh, weeks I'm just trying to see including the the state pension both contributory and non-contributory because I know some of the old age pensioners would prefer if it went back to weekly but they're staying fortnightly and that'll be reviewed and updated again but some of them are gone weekly and they're gone weekly from this week but for that listener just that that listener knows it's a disability payment and she would prefer it fortnightly it is remaining fortnightly now some of your calls coming into and texts coming into the programme on pubs should they right decision, wrong uh, decision and the restaurants that are already open. Uh, Jamie says, could any West pub, these are the pubs that are closed at the moment, could they open by selling food from a local uh, takeaway? Uh, my reading of it is yes and it looks like some of them have have already been doing that because if you remember at the time when restaurants were allowed to open and then they discovered the gastropubs because obviously there are also restaurants were allowed uh, to open. At the time, Leo Varadkar was the Taoiseach and he came out at the time and said that pubs that serve food, they didn't have to have a restaurant licence in order to open. So that has allowed a number of pubs. To adapt the way they do business and to serve food at the same time. Some had kitchens and were able to install kitchens, and others then were getting their food delivered. So, yes, what Jamie is saying, technically, you could have a takeaway to delivering the food. What the letter of the law states that you must serve a substantial meal, but the substantial meal only needs to be nine euro and uh, over. So there's a number of pubs that I've certainly heard of that are, for example, doing pizzas and they get, you put in your order for your pizza, they get the pizza delivered and then they can start the pizza with the drink and that covers them to open at, at the moment so yes that is technically possible Hi Patricia some rest, all of the restaurants as this texter should be closed because some of them you can't say all of them some of them are are staying open all night why do you think the cases have gone so high there's also some of them are not selling food and only selling drinks thanks for reading this out and we know the gardi are uh, going around and doing spot checks Actually, I was re- only reading today in the paper that last week 20 Twenty establishments were caught out for not actually selling food, just selling drink. Some of them were being remarkably clever like for example they'd issue a receipt to somebody making it look like food had been served but the Gardaí were able to prove that no food has been served and there was 24 the previous week and there was 20 last week and we know that they're being referred on to the DPP. It'll be, I I think people will will watch with great interest what happens when those particular cases go to court and there's, I mean they will certainly be fined but there's also talks of some of them might have great difficulty getting their pub licence back because that's got to be renewed the, the their alcohol licence has to be renewed every year so there would be great interest in following along those cases for sure. It's an old saying says another texter that pubs are the root of all evil many people went hungry and there was a lot of domestic violence because people were spending too much time and too much money in the pub. I feel they are no loss. If I had my way they would never open again and believe me I am speaking from uh, experience and my heart goes out to you if you are speaking from experience but I, I don't I don't think you can say that pubs are the root of all evil it's probably alcohol is the root of all evil because even during lockdown when all of the pubs were closed including the restaurants that and the gastro pubs that are open now we saw an increase in domestic violence and even listening to Mary Crilly today there was an increase in the number of rape cases and that's why all, that's when all the pubs were closed if people want to get their hands on alcohol people will get their hands on alcohol I sympathize with uh, pubs as uh, says this is Deirdre I sympathise with pubs not opening but I want to make a point that many businesses who have opened since lockdown are not at full potential yet and many have suffered losses. There was a surge on reopening but in Mitchellstown many are now just ticking over and the social distancing measures implemented by Cork County Council in Mitchellstown by way of bollards does need to be reviewed. Our businesses will close down. We need to support our towns in every way possible. Thank you. And actually that's from uh, Councillor Deirdre O'Brien. Shop local. It is more important than ever. It really, really is. Thank you for your text, uh, Deirdre. If it was about mental health, says this texter and socialising, people would be going to their local community centre. But it isn't. It's all about booze. That's with and at the end of the day, booze is a mind altering subject. It can be done without. The gastropubs should never have been allowed to open their doors when they were allowing restaurants to open. They never should have allowed gastropubs to open, says this texter. Mary says, hi Patricia, with so many people staycationing at the moment, if they had gone ahead and decided to open the pubs next Monday, what would happen? People would flock to the pubs. People would be coming from all over. I'm very much in favour of keeping those pubs closed. Tim says, as I messaged on your programme yesterday, the increase in the number of new infections... And the change in the age profile can be directly tra- tra- traced back to the abuse in gastropubs, says Tim. The target for the publicans should be the banks and the government should be a bit pr- Compelling the banks to be lenient with publicans who have loans, etc., and who are fearful about not being able to pay bills, not being able to pay mortgage, uh, etc. So, Tim and, and Tim is right about the age profile of people being diagnosed with COVID nineteen. I mean, yet again, yesterday we saw the age uh, profile was it eighty percent were under the age of uh, forty five, uh, and in many cases some of the cases are even under the age of 30 so so tim is right it is it, the younger people tim's point is c- could you trace that to 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 probably to socializing absolutely even though we haven't as of yet had a cluster of cases that has been identified as coming directly from one establishment, one large restaurant, one gastropub for example. We've yet to see a case like that. A lot of the clusters and the clusters we've been talking about have been from the meat plants and have been from the direct provision centres. I mean even yesterday when we looked at the 50 cases there was only four that were in the community that you could say somebody, perhaps was out last Saturday night, did they pick it up when they were out in the restaurant were out in the pub. So we haven't as of yet. Other countries yes, absolutely other countries have come back and said that when they opened all of the pubs they were able to directly link cases and clusters somebody was somebody was identified as COVID positive they did contact tracing they were inside in various bars and they were able to directly say that they passed it on to so many other people but that hasn't happened in this country yet that's not to say that it won't happen somebody else wants to know are all schools reopening at the end of the month the Department of Education and our New Education Minister Noma Foley is saying yes that's what the aim is is for all of the schools will they all reopen? Only time will tell schools at the moment are doing everything in their power to make sure that all schools reopen at the end of the month but the plan is but I'm assuming if a school isn't ready then individual parents will be contacted but as of now the plan is for all schools to reopen. The decline in the cases in Dublin traditionally every day we're calling when the numbers get called out from NEPHIS for Many, many weeks and months, the highest number of new cases have always been in Dublin. But yesterday we saw the highest number of new cases out of the 50 announced yesterday came from Wexford. Somebody is pondering, could there be herd immunity going on in Dublin at this stage? And I have no way of knowing. The only way we could find out if there was herd immunity going on in any area, you would have to do antibody testing. And I heard over in England they've started to do antibody testing. Because remember, in the UK they decided to go at the very beginning, even though they changed their mind, they decided to go for that herd immunity. Just let the COVID nineteen run through the community. You would, you certainly, the more vulnerable would. They would lose the more vulnerable and that they would die. But the idea would be that the younger, healthier people would get COVID-19, they wouldn't be too unwell and then herd immunity and then they would get over the coronavirus faster by going down that route. But they changed their mind because they didn't realise how many people were going to, were going to die. But what they have started doing in the UK, and I know because my brother lives in Devon and he was one of the ones randomly selected. He got randomly selected to do an antibody test. Now it turns out he didn't have the antibodies so he never had COVID-19 but they just have selected people various ages various parts of the country and they've been sent a little kit to test are we going to do that? I don't know. But it's the only way we would find out how many people had picked up COVID-19 without ever knowing they've picked it up. How often, and you will I think we'll all know somebody who will say to you that they were unwell December, January, February at the start. And even before we had ever heard of COVID-19, people would say, I had a really bad flu. I had a really bad cough. I was spiking a high temperature. I felt miserable for a few days. And then it passed and I just put it down to a flu. And people are questioning and wondering, could it have been COVID-19 at the time? And of course, the only way of finding that out is to do an antibody test. I haven't heard of the government making any decision about looking to do antibody tests around the country. No doubt it uh, will happen. But that's the only way of finding out, could it? And you're, But you're right. You're, your theory is right. It could be because there was so much COVID-19 in Dublin it is possible that a number of people picked it up, never had symptoms, and therefore, yes, if there is herd immunity up there, less and less people will be uh, getting it for sure. OK, on the wearing of masks, the listener says, I, this is wearing a mask mandatory for next Monday. I simply can't wear one of those masks as I instantly start to cough, says this listener. But I've no problem wearing what this listener says is a, um, a welding mask, you know, like the shields, the visors. Yeah, absolutely. It's a face covering. Once you've got some kind of a face covering on the mask, if you, if you absolutely cannot wear the face mask across your mouth then the shield will be the next best thing and actually I've noticed a lot of people inside in supermarkets are going for those the visors and they're very easy to buy certainly I've seen them on sale um, Chemist shops seem to be really good at selling those visors they're probably on sale in more places as well but I have certainly have seen them inside in a lot of chemist shops people seem this is on the wearing of masks people seem to be getting very complacent with regarding to masks says this texter walking around my local town of Dunmanway yesterday evening I was in the minority as I was masked up I actually felt silly I must admit but it stayed on what is it with people do they think they're immune to it it won't get me is that what they are thinking OK. Well, well done to you for wear, wearing your mask and don't be put off by people looking at you funny because I think with it becoming mandatory in all shops from next Monday, the person not wearing the mask is going to be the one who's going to feel a bit silly and is is actually going to stand out uh, a little bit. And I accept there are some people who can't wear the actual face mask. That's why I'm saying go for a visor instead and then you won't be standing out. You won't have people looking at you a little bit strange. But remember, if you're out and about, and you're walking, they're saying It's not mandatory to wear masks. You can if you want. If you think you're going to protect other people by wearing your mask, then absolutely wear it. Because remember, we wear our masks to protect other people, not ourselves. The idea of other people wearing it is to protect yourself. But at the moment, the wearing of masks and the wearing of masks becoming mandatory from next Monday is only for indoors, for all retail Shops, supermarkets, shopping centres are anywhere where you can't socially distance. That's where masks become mandatory. But it is mandatory outside. Again, that's not to say because things change all the time that they won't uh, change that. On face masks, as Dan in Mallow. If they're making them compulsory, then surely the government should be providing the masks free of charge or the government should at least be subsidising them or making the ones that we buy VAT free, particularly as they're going to force people to wear them. Also, why are certain pubs selling alcohol without food? This, going back to everybody seems to know of a venue that's selling... Uh, selling drink without uh, food uh, Dan said some premises are just giving you a receipt for food provided in case the Gardaí uh, walk in we need to shut down those pubs and if they're caught they certainly need to uh, shut down. Also some of the smoking areas in bars are jam packed with no food being provided where are the guardy? Well I have been out nearly since the restaurants opened the last five Saturday evenings we've made a point of going out locally want to try and put money back into the economy as well and it's nice to have something to uh, look forward to and I would say on every single Saturday bar one of the five the premises I was in the guardie came in walked around took a look around so the guardie are out and about and now they're not going to get everywhere all of the time but they certainly are doing their bit to try to check up and we know by the 20 premises were caught breaching the rules and 24 the previous week. So they are trying to do the best that they can. Thank you for your text, Dan. And someone else says, can you wear a scarf around your face? Yeah, any kind of a covering around your face. That's what they're asking you to do. Mandatory from next Monday, 1850
2: 333 103. The C103 Cork Diary.
4: With Cork County
1: Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie.
4: And I've just spotted a text in from uh, Theo Park uh, in La Malaga to say, for all bingo lovers out there, another great night is assured at Theo. T.O. Park uh, driving bingo it's on tonight at 8 o'clock please wear a mask and uh, T.O. Park would like to thank everybody who supported last week's bingo and I'm told it was a great success so here's to another great night of bingo tonight 8 o'clock sharp and Castleton Bear Development Association their bingo is tomorrow night uh, at the pier and they've got a half past 8 at start And World Suicide Day that's happening on Thursday the 10th of September. Charleville Suicide Awareness Group are asking people to light a candle in remembrance of those who passed away and that's for their family and friends.
1: You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: More today on C one oh three. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103.:
4: Well, there was certainly no happy every after sight for those in the Irish wedding industry this week with the government's decision to keep the fifty person limit on indoor gatherings. Nicholas Bukovic is with WeddingsOnline.ie and Nicholas joins me. Good afternoon to you, Nicholas. Good afternoon, Patricia. Thanks very much for having me. Well, you're welcome to the programme. Are there many very upset couples around the country who were hoping for the number to go to at least 100 indoors?
11: Yeah, there was huge disappointment on Monday when the government announced that the limit would stay at the 50. Um, Like, you know, on our social media channels, there's just post after post of frustrated couples who who are just devastated that they can't go ahead. and, And a lot of couples just don't really see the logic behind, uh, you know, keeping the restrictions the way they are. There are so many wonderful venues there in the country who could easily cater for 100 or 150 people uh, and make social distancing possible. Um, So there's just uh, frustration, uh, confusion, uh, disappointment, and, uh, and a lot of people are just not sure what to do. Like, should they go ahead with a smaller wedding? Um, you know, tell people that they can't come to the wedding which is obviously uh, a very, very unfortunate thing to do or should they postpone? So a big, big disappointment out there.
4: And at the start of all of it, Nicholas, particularly when lockdown started uh, and we didn't know when hotels and restaurants and when we'd hoped bars would reopen, did some couples and did many couples make the decision then to cancel for 2020 and just simply fix for a new date for 2021?
11: Yeah, approximately, um, it went through waves, Patricia. Like when the first lockdown uh, came into force in in March, a lot of couples just pushed their wedding out two or three months into the summer, July, August, September. Now, when people realized a few weeks later that this is not going to disappear quickly, a lot of them actually uh, picked the date in 2021. So they postponed their 2020 wedding to 2021, kind of anticipating that, you know, you couldn't be sure... How quickly things change but about a, a quarter of all couples kept their date in 2020 and a lot of them are now thinking hmm, should i move uh, as well to 2021 or should i go ahead with a smaller wedding some people uh, what a lot of people find frustrating is that you know if you get a key in your own house or on your lawn you know you could have more people uh, theoretically and there's absolutely no social distancing so from a so people are unsure. Um, but uh, going back to your question, like more and more people are now the last ones left for 2020, are now postponing for 2021.
4: Would it be would it be extremely difficult to try to get a date in 2021 at this stage?
11: Uh, it, it's difficult with popular venues and popular suppliers because the, the the popular dates Friday, Saturday, summer months they they are booked. So oh, a lot of couples are actually moving to weekdays, um, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. Um, that's happened a lot, uh, and uh, thanks to to the venues and suppliers who have just proven to be extremely flexible to help couples. Uh, a lot of a lot have been able to find dates. Um, but then a lot of couples are all, also, you know, go on, they, they try to book for next year. They realize the date that they want is not available, and then they're looking into 2022.
4: Oh goodness oh my God! and then you would have some couples as you say at the start decided okay if they were due to get married in May should we push it forward for August so they've already rescheduled and now looking have at having to possibly reschedule again
11: exactly Patricia so that's the challenging situation not just for the couples but also for their venues and suppliers some couples are working with three dates you know they had the original dates then they had a provisional Date later in 2020, let's say September, October. But now they have a third day, um, you know, for 2021, um, and they're just not sure what to do. But can you imagine, from a logistical point of view, even all the suppliers and venues to keep, keep juggling with those different dates? It's just a nightmare. And just again, what what a lot of uh, there's a lot of confusion out there about the uh, the guidelines. For example, the 11 o'clock, 11 p.m. Uh, guideline that everything has to stop now. Some Some are not sure, does this only apply to restaurants? Does this apply to private functions? There's a lack of clarity out there. uh, And people seem to interpret it in different ways. So that doesn't help either.
4: But I take it, Nicholas, some couples, are they having lovely, small, intimate ceremonies?
11: They do. Like a a good few couples say, look, I I don't want to wait any longer. This is too much of a burden. Um, I'm going to have a a micro-wedding, as they call it, you know. Um, which is really just a, a short, uh, a small ceremony with the closest family and friends uh, and the celebra- celebrants, um, and then they say, look, I, I want to get married," uh, and this is done, and then possibly have a big celebration next year with uh, with with a wider circle. So uh, there are couples who are going ahead with this, but the thing is, I think in um, Irish people are. Fantastic in having big celebrations. The wedding is probably the biggest celebration you could ever have in your life. Um, and it's a tough decision to say, look, I'm going to cut out friends and family and I'm just going to have a, a small ceremony. Uh, but a, a good few couples are doing this because they, the, the uncertainty is just they don't want to live with that for months.
4: Yeah, it, it really is uh, tricky. Just on the 50 person limit, Nicholas. Mm. Does the fifty-person limit indoors? Does that include the staff of the hotel and your photographer and anybody yes. else? It does. Yes,
11: it, that's, that's it. So it has to include the staff. It has to include anybody who is uh, who is in the in the venue. Uh, and you know, you can see obviously if it's a very small venue, you you can see how the numbers would have to be smaller. But there are so many venues out there which could, in in pre-COVID times, would have taken in four hundred people, more than four hundred. So a lot of these venues, from our point of view, rightly say, we could have a very, very safe celebration, you know, with people sitting, uh, you know, having social distancing, sitting apart, um, but we could have easily 150 or 200 and people could have a lovely wedding. So there's frustration out there. Why is it not possible to be more flexible? A bigger venue can have bigger numbers and still be safe. And a smaller venue obviously would have to have smaller numbers.
4: Yeah, it was like the argument we had when they opened up the churches. uh, You know, a big cathedral could hold a lot more people than a small little rural uh, church. Mary wants to know, could you ask Nicholas, if the wedding has been held in a marquee, is a marquee deemed an inside event are an outside event because if it's an outside event you could have 200 people at it. If it's an indoor yeah. event it's 50 people.
11: Again, there is, unfortunately I can't give a clear answer because there are no clear guidelines. From the way most people would interpret it is that uh, if it's a marquee it's, it's, it's deemed outside. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, but then again, marquees can be very different. <laughs> so unfortunately, there is no no proper guidelines. There is no proper guidelines, but a lot of people say, "I'm just gonna if these if, if things keep going like this, I'll have something in my own home where I can basically do what I want." But from a health point of view, is that really what you want? It's the same argument as with the house parties. people say, "Look, if you keep the pops closed, if you keep everything closed for the younger people, um, they'll find other ways to meet." And is that necessarily the better thing? You know, from a health pers- perspective. So. Uh, unfortunately, again, a lot of confusion, a lot of uh, unclarity um in the, in the this is to the marquee question, it's just a good example
3: for that.
4: Okay, another listener says her friend uh, is due to get married later on this year but is still uncertain as to what is going what is going to happen. She's now thinking of having a small wedding this year and holding the reception next year. Has Nicholas heard of others doing that?
11: Yeah, absolutely. That's where a, a good few couples have decided to go to I want to get married I don't want to wait any longer I will proceed with a smaller ceremony and you can have you know at the moment up to 50 people and that might change in a few weeks time but a lot of people say okay I'm gonna go ahead with this and then I'm gonna have a big party uh, celebration uh, when you know next year when things will hopefully be different so a lot of people are doing this uh, and some brides, you know, and grooms on, on our social media channels say, look, um, we, I have a smaller event now. Uh, I'll make the most of it. It's my wedding. I want to enjoy it. I want to go ahead with, uh, and then, you know, may possibly have something else in a couple of months or in a year's time.
4: And then looking at the wider wedding industry, Nicholas, which is worth a huge sum of money in, in this country. Mm. Some of the smaller providers, will they struggle to stay in business?
11: Absolutely, like they are in an offer situation. Like most of them, since March, they you know they have had absolutely no income because weddings were cancelled, when weddings were postponed. Like some of them are not just dealing with weddings, like florists, for example, cake makers. There's other uh, other events, um, hairstylists. Fortunately, they, they could open again. But the wedding industry is so huge in Ireland. You know, it's so big, and uh, and the first them is not do they only do they have this logistical nightmare of having to deal with couples, uh, you know, who are moving their wedding between three dates um, It's not their fault, you know, it's such a challenging situation. And I, I, we have to say what we've seen is suppliers and venues, they are really going above and beyond to help, but they have no income. You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing coming in and there's no perspective for things to change at the moment. So this is really, really tough. And and a lot of them are struggling. They've put their heart and soul into building up a fantastic business in the hospitality industry in Ireland. It's amazing. It's brilliant. But they've put their heart and soul into it, and they have no perspective. There's no income. uh, And the lack of clarity and the kind of moving back and forward from the government doesn't really help. Now, I mean, everybody's aware they're in a difficult spot, the government. You know, this is all new territory, and and things evolve and change. But uh, it's very hard to see this.
4: Yeah, and I know even people like the wedding bands, this would be the busiest time for them and their work has completely dried up.
11: Yeah, I mean, some couples have gone ahead with, uh, you know, still having bands. It's not, you know, you're still allowed to have a band at a smaller wedding, you know, but they might have to stop earlier. And then you say this is when, you know, everything has to stop. Uh, but uh, as you mentioned, like bands, they are not just affected by the weddings. You know, any kind of entertainment in pubs—it's all it, gone for them. It's all gone. Yeah. So some like, for some businesses, they have other income. You know, they lo- lost the weddings, but they can still sell flowers, for example. But um, but for bands, DJs, it's especially tough because it's not just the weddings. Everything is kind of gone at the moment.
4: Yeah, it's hard. It really is is hard. And I mean, looking at at weddings and and the prepping and the planning for weddings, uh, Nicholas. I mean, brides and, and grooms. It can uh, particularly the bride and the groom as well. It can be such a stressful time. At the best of times, without yeah. putting COVID nineteen into the middle of it, would you Absolutely. agree? It's,
11: it's a big thing. that like most couples, take uh, around eighteen months on average. To to plan the wedding from getting engaged, picking a venue, and picking the supplies, and you know it's such an exciting uh, thing to do, uh, and it's the biggest day of your life, you know. Uh, but then to have this overshadowed by this uncertainty, and you know, it's you know it's not just about yourself; it's about your family, your friends. How can you accommodate them? How can you make it happen? You really have to feel very very sorry for them.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, listen, uh, Nicholas, and, and and how how are you guys doing at, at weddingsonline.ie?
11: Yeah, good, oh, Patricia. Thanks a lot. But we, to be honest, we are working harder than ever trying to help couples yeah. and suppliers in, in all of this. And the thing is, the good, the thing is a little bit, couples are still very positive about planning new weddings for next year and the year after. So a lot of couples, the couples would use our platform Weddings Online, to find suppliers and venues for the next two years. And what we can see is 2021, 2022 will hopefully become the most busy year for weddings ever <laughs> people <laughs> will know, be uh,
4: sick of going to weddings next year I'm telling you now When the invitations you know, start coming in through the letterbox oh god not uh, another to be, one <laughs> to
11: be honest it will be, uh, it will be a great problem to have <laughs> yeah absolutely
4: absolutely bring them on I'm a, I love weddings so I'm the first one out no,
11: they are brilliant yeah. and, and, they, and they will happen but uh, hopefully you know it, there will be it will go into the right direction soon and then people can just enjoy the planning and the preparations and um, and, uh, and and yeah, go back and, to e- and to enjoy
4: because there is nothing like a good Irish wedding for sure.
11: Absolutely, the, the, the Irish are the best at weddings. Uh,
4: I, I can say this uh, for sure. Well said, well said. Okay, Nicholas, pleasure is always to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thanks very much. For Thanks for time. joining okay. us. Uh, good morning. That is uh, good. Our good afternoon. It's gone past twelve. The stage, uh, Nicholas Bukovic, and he is with weddings online ie, And we were talking about pubs reopening and the bulk of people, I have to say, quite happy that pubs haven't reopened and think the government has made the right decision. Somebody says, I know somebody who was praying hard for the pubs to open to get a bit of peace uh, when her husband would go
2: out. Court <laughs> today on Scene 103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850
4: 333 103. And a quick look at some of your texts coming in. Uh, John says, I won't miss the band at a wedding. They always blow you out of it. The volume is always too high at least if you go to a wedding now you'll be able to talk in peace, says John if there isn't a wedding band. We constantly get complaints about that when when we had our traditional Irish wedding. Some people just think, is it just wedding bands that the volume seems to be higher or does it happen at all bands? I, I wonder, but certainly at weddings we have dealt with and spoken about that before on the programme. Thanks for your text John. On the wearing the mandatory wearing of masks coming in from next Monday when somebody said could you wear a scarf and I was saying yeah once you're mouth and face is covered. Yes, you can. Somebody says most scarves will provide very little protection as they are a tight enough weave. As we are going to be wearing face coverings, let's at least wear either face visors or a quality mask which will actually provide genuine protection, says this listener. When somebody's questioning why the numbers are down in Dublin, the COVID numbers are down in Dublin. Sure, all the dubs are down the south uh, therefore the COVID numbers are down in Dublin. A number of people people actually, I have to say, are making that very same point. Uh, Mossy in West Cork, Uh, Says, hi Patricia, when the banking and construction crash happened in 2008, over 200,000 construction workers lost their job. They were paid 203 euro rate a week, which wasn't enough. They should have been compensated more. I feel sorry for people who have currently lost their jobs, but that's the way the dice has sadly fallen. We all lose our jobs or have to give them up at some stage in our life. Nobody is special. No one has a divine right to a job, says Mossy. You're just lucky and healthy to have one at the moment. And that is true. Thank you. That's from Mossy in West Cork. Thanks, Mossy. And hi, uh, says Joan. Can you tell me what website to go on to find out when day centres for older people are opening. I sing for the elderly and I miss it terribly. Aren't you so sweet, Uh, Joan? I don't have a website. I have a website for when Disability Day services open. That's the hsc.ie forward slash new directions. But as of now, the HSC haven't put up a website saying... When the day services for older people, if they do, Joan, I certainly will let it, will let you know, and I will bring it to you. But as of now, it's only the one for the adult the Disability Day Services for Adults that have been released at the hscie forward slash new directions. And that's where we leave you for today. My thanks to Sadie and to John Paul for taking all your calls today and thank you to everybody who took time out uh, to contact us. We'll be back with you tomorrow morning for the final one of the week at 10 o'clock until tomorrow at 10. I'm Patricia Messenger. Stay safe. <laughs>